0: Looking for something to do after Halloween is over? Are you into the strange, bizarre, and unusual? On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more, featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Melvin Vance, Rand Collier, Tobias Whalen, Brent Rains. Joshua Kutchen, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Goulias, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Samwitzky, Soraya Ascap, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com.
1: intensity of that gets me every single time and you know i noticed listening to the uh, to the actual audio version of this which is uh, oh it's
2: not in there no
1: the no it's not in there so there's me remarking on the existence of the countdown and then no one realizing exactly what the hell am i talking about but yes if you're if you're hearing these you watch these live you can see this amazing countdown that StreamYard provides and that is so intense and just gets everybody started. So welcome, everybody, to part three of our Strange Realities Conference previews on Conspira Normal. And we have another set of speakers tonight that are going to be speaking at the Strange Realities Conference. As You can find the tickets at strangerealitiesconference.com. Uh several online uh, tickets are available and also in-person tickets are available if you are in nashville or anywhere around in surrounding states so come see us but uh we have an all-star cast tonight so from my perspective i will introduce each one cheslin vance
0: hello my name is cheslin vance um, i'm a hypnotherapist um at the presentation i'll be uh Answering a few questions about hypnotherapy, saying exactly what it is, and then we'll um, go through an actual hypnosis. I'll take you through a journey, and it'll be a lot of fun.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. We'll maybe we'll get a little more detail. We'll talk a little
3: bit more about it. Uh, Brent Rains. Hey. I uh, <coughs> edit Alternate Perceptions Online magazine. Uh, started back in 1985 dealing with all sorts of uh, anomalous phenomena, uh, UFOs, cryptids, uh, Paranormal, lots of things following following the umbrella of the paranormal, but I got interested as a ufologist at age fourteen back in January of uh, 1967, and uh, it was pretty soon that um, I ran into John Keel and started reading Jacques Vallée, and and uh, I haven't been the same since. And so I drifted from nuts and bolts um, type ET thinking to who the hell knows. <laughs> it's it's fascinating and very. You know, it's just I think the high strange stuff, the stuff that doesn't seem to fit, that a lot of people have ignored, needs to be studied. So that's what I want to kind of delve into.
2: Awesome. Right. And we were cool. just talking about how you were present at the very first strange realities.
3: Uh, well, yeah, I was there, 2019. Uh, just uh, allowed me to have a table, and I went ahead and sold some copies of my John Keel book that had just come out in in July of that year, and is available on Amazon. So I appreciate that. So
1: Yeah, I should say that um, in 2019, um, Brent had hit me up about uh, speaking and I'd already had it all you know scheduled and everything and uh, but I said, well, I would love to have you there. and I saw that Brent you know had the book about on field, which was really awesome. And
2: yeah, really, let me get closer to
3: Mike uh, yeah, really great book. Well, it, it certainly, you know, he inspired my journey to a great extent. So I decided to, to do the book.
1: <laughs> All right. And uh, Steven Snyder is also with us as well from the farm podcast.
4: So, like, I took a heroic dose of mushrooms when I was 19 at the University of Colorado Springs. I saw seven-foot aliens, uh, gray aliens, and hallucination, and I've never been the same since. I now wander the earth, uh, looking for all kinds of strange stuff and parapolitical intrigues to study and follow.
0: All
3: right.
1: Yeah, so they also also host the, the uh the, the great podcast The Farm. Yep, and,
2: and several fascinating it. books and also a stranger Aldi's vet who's been at everyone since 2019 as well, I believe.
4: Uh actually well, I think twenty twenty was. was my first rodeo. Yeah.
2: yeah, everyone since uh, besides <coughs> twenty nineteen. So uh, yep. we had a very limited uh lineup in 2019 but it was our first rodeo
1: yep and uh i should say brent we did we didn't have you last year but we're rectifying that this year i appreciate it We, we are very happy very happy to have you uh you know we we have a newbie to strange realities this year we have cheslin here and Cheslin, we, we were kind of just talking a little bit about it uh, when you introduced yourself, but can you tell us uh, a, a little more about what you're going to do in your presentation and um, kind of like your background with studying hypnosis and hypnotherapy?
0: Absolutely. Um, well, uh, during the presentation, um, as I said, I'll be uh, answering questions for like the, a few minutes. Um, but after that we'll get into the meat of it and I'll uh, take the anyone who's interested, um, on a, like a collective group hypnosis. Um, it's very, it's, it sounds scary. It's not, I promise. It's, um, very relaxing. It's very calming. Um, if anyone here is into meditation, it's a little bit like that. A lot of people say that the hypnotic state is like the sister to, uh, the meditative state. So, um, What I'll do is I'll induce the crowd into hypnosis, um, and then, like, based on what we talked about or, like, the vibe of the crowd, um, I'll just kind of take you on a little bit of a journey, just, like, show you what kind of things you can experience under hypnosis. Um, A lot of people can, like, actually feel certain feelings. A lot of people can, like, see certain scenes. It'll be very, very fun, very, like, PG, you know um so uh yeah we'll just the what you can expect if you're if you you know show if you're there um is to just what it would be like to be like in a like hypnotherapy or like it's a regular hypnosis session with myself
2: awesome we always like to have some kind of experiential thing, and uh, that'll be bringing something we've never done before to Strange Realities. Um, Brent, you did some stuff uh, a while back with those Peruvian flutes, I remember, that kind of put me in a hypnotic state. So um, Yeah,
3: yeah. They were, um, you know, down in South America. Um, I think they started in Ecuador and they moved down into Peru. And it went on for about 2,500 years, presumably, and uh, till the Spanish arrived. And, uh, of course, they were seen as, uh, you know, the work of the devil and such. They had various, uh, they were often, um, wish I had one with me, but you know what they look like. Uh, to yeah, yeah. What can see, but they're, you know, clay vessels that they made. And, and they had, uh, they were effigy vessels. They, they uh, showed different you know, beings, uh, maybe a holy man, like in a meditative state, or maybe animals, or um, <clears throat> even uh, some where people were engaged in, in sexual acts, which of course the, um uh, sure the Spanish thought was definitely the, the devil there, but uh, yeah, they put a stop to it. Uh, but a lot of people, it uh, wasn't just the priesthood or the uh, shamanic people of, of Peru, uh Men, women, children of all classes were were buried with these things, and uh, so they were they were quite you know used by everybody. And uh, people have found that when blown, they create a kind of an altered state. And I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I've done some workshops, and uh, particularly for the Association for Research and Enlightenment, the Edgar Casey Foundation, and um, you know, had some pretty (laughs) phenomenal stories. You know, people even saying they left their bodies. Uh, during it, uh, but what what uh, you remember? What your your experience was like? I never actually talked with you about it. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, I'm I'm trying to remember too. It was a few years ago. Um, I re- I remember kind of like the the tingling sensations. I think it was, it was more than anything, mm-hmm. and um, so there was like there was two, right? Like one on each side and they, they kind of create a binaural yeah.
3: like, yeah, kind of a binaural deep, like with, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Monroe Institute, uh, cause right. that uses it for people to go into meditative states and, uh, kind of journey and maybe even out of the body. So, um, you know, we've had reports that are visionary, powerful visionaries, but mostly just, if we just, you know, accomplish having people in a very relaxed state, uh, it's, uh, you know, we've accomplished something there. It's positive.
2: Yeah, right. absolutely. We're really looking forward to the the hypnosis session. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we always want to have something like that at the Strange Realities events. Of course, for anyone who wants to participate, it is optional. But uh, come Definitely. come get hypnotized at Strange Realities
1: Yeah, you should. I mean, what better way to start the day than being hypnotized?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And what time will will that be, Adam?
1: Yeah, well, the reason I say that, um, so Cheslin is starting us off on Saturday, November the 4th. This is from 9.30 to 10.30, and uh, that's going to be Cheslin's uh, presentation slash workshop on hypnosis.
0: It's gonna be looking,
2: rad. Looking forward to that. <laughs> are, are
1: you are, are you gonna make anybody like cluck like a chicken or anything like that? Or
0: um, I don't really do that. As that like, that can happen. Um,
2: <laughs> there will be voluntary guinea pigs. Sure, uh, whatever you <laughs> yeah. want. to do.
0: I mean, whoever is it, like whoever is interested. Like,
1: <laughs> do you do you oh. think um, uh, is is that is I mean. Is there a better time? I mean, this because as I was doing the schedule, I was like, "Man, I don't know if I want to hypnotize everybody at the beginning of the of the morning." But (laughs) is there a better time to do hypnosis during the
0: day? The the good question. The most ideal time to do hypnosis is right before bed because it makes you very very sleepy when you come out of it. Um, that's a really good um indica- indication of how deep into hypnosis you went is how how sleepy you are when you're when you're like one two three eyes open wide awake, um, so at, at the end of the day is usually the best time. But and there's really any time of day is good because um, it's depending on like what journey you go on. It's gonna put you in a good mood. So um,
3: okay,
0: I believe uh you asked uh, a few minutes ago, Adam um yeah uh like my background, I'll tell you yeah. a little bit about that if that's cool yeah
1: please yeah please yeah. absolutely
0: um so I went to h m i um uh hypnotherapy motivational institute it's the first and only accredited um hypnotherapy college in the u s um it's been around for i think I think it was founded in like the fifties. It's been around for forever um it's very it used to be uh, only in california but then 2020 happened and so they branched off to online and uh i was a, i was able to enroll and um it was 13 wonderful months of you know uh because it's hypnotherapy right so it was like 13 wonderful months of like therapy and like learning about therapy learning about the mind Learning about the subconscious mind um, and like therapeutic um, modalities to like help, just like help get through traumas. Um, it was it was really wonderful. Like, it was one of the best thirteen months of my life, um, and I uh, I bring that up now to say that uh, my many of my mentors. Oh man, I had a point. Many of my mentors uh, would say that uh, hypnotherapy is like best to do in like in the early mornings like we're doing and then like super really really good uh at night because um your mind like in order for you to fall asleep you kind of have to go through hypnosis and then like you're then you're asleep um so when you're when you're waking up and when you're falling asleep you're kind of even more susceptible to that and you're like kind of already there um, so like ten thirty, although it's not it's not super early, although most people aren't like, oh sh- just waking up. Um it's a really good time.
2: <laughs> probably for some of these people, so
0: oh, no. <laughs> probably <laughs> just be waking up. <laughs> hey, no judgment. No judgment. They yeah. all have late days.
2: They'll probably get started Friday night after the first night and uh they'll probably just be waking up so hopefully they can have some kind of remnant of that hypnagogic state and uh Will help there with the hypnosis. Go. There you go. <laughs> well,
1: you know, I, I should say too that um, if anyone wants to see um, you you in action, like your technique, we did do on uh, Navea's nightmare. We did do where you you were, you you did a past life regression on nevea Yeah,
0: we sure and that did. That is out there
1: on her channel. So mm-hmm.
0: that was a really interesting video.
1: Yeah, how did you feel about that doing that?
0: I loved it. I I thought it was really cool. Um whenever doing whenever I'm doing past life regression or a hypnosis that involves the client speaking, um I'm not as um uh in control, I should say, because I'm not I don't know, I don't know what they're going to say, I don't know what they're thinking. Like when it's just when it's just me speaking, like, I, I'm telling a story, I'm taking you through, I'm guiding you through, like, what's happening. But when it's a back and forth, like, you're putting your input, I'm putting my input, and, mm-hmm. like, we create something together. So whenever it's with a client who's also speaking, like, I really enjoy it because um, it's a co-creation. Like, it's a, like, it's a, yeah, it's a co-creation. We're creating the story together, and we're, like, changing, we're changing the like the subconscious mind together and it's always better to change the subconscious mind when your when your own with your when your own uh, conscious mind is on board with it you know what i'm saying um sure like like if you if you if like the like your ego agrees like the rest of you is gonna is gonna follow it's a little bit more complicated than that but yeah but um I I don't know. I I really enjoyed it and I'd love to do it again.
1: Yeah. I have a question for you on that. Like when, when we did that, um, do you see like the past life regression? Do you think that they're actually, that they're, they're actually remembering a past life or is it more useful as like a form of therapy?
0: That is an awesome question. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, back and forth debates on that. Um, there's a lot of people that believe that they're actually going into their past lives. Um, and then there's, you know, the other side that thinks, um, you no, know, it's just in their imagination. Um, and really there's no real way to say personally, I believe what happens in um, the client's subconscious mind is what's supposed to happen. So if they're actually accessing um, like, memories of a different life which i i don't think that's impossible at all i think that's very possible like if they're actually accessing memories from a different life then that was what was supposed to happen and they can heal those memories um in this life because they're not as attached to it Mm -hmm. but if it's something made up in their mind then that was also what was supposed to happen and um like maybe maybe they're just not in the place yet to um, access that past life or maybe their past their past life is already like they already took Like they already completed whatever needed to be completed. So um, my my personal opinion is, yes, it can happen. I mean, yes, many do. Um, and then there are some that is completely made up, which is also fine. Like I had, I had a uh, a fellow, um, not a client, but my my uh, my fellow student. Um, I pass, I put her through a past life regression. <coughs> Excuse me. I put her through a past life regression, and um, she was saying that she uh, she went back in time, and she it was completely historically inaccurate, like one hundred percent. Hmm. Um, but it was exactly what needed to happen to her. Like okay. she was saying that she was like Queen Elizabeth, and she was like visited by, by like beings that weren't, that weren't documented in that time. Let's just say, um. So, um, there's no like uh, documentation for that, but I don't think that that's necessarily. I don't think that's necessarily like the point of a past life regression you know what i'm saying
2: so. what kind yeah. of beings can, can i ask
0: <laughs> she was just saying uh well she's not a client so it, it's okay for me to say um she was just saying like she saw her i'll just have to you can tell me I don't, in here. I don't know if i want to share it she didn't really give me permission to share okay but, yeah um,
2: well, let's let's we'll keep it there uh we, we, just, we can keep it there then. That's fine. We
0: can keep it like this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So maybe you can tell us um, more off the. If area. you're
0: interested. <laughs>
2: That's why you want to go to Strange Realities. Yeah. Exactly. The, the real skis. <laughs> uh, yeah. Awesome. Sorry, and, yeah. You're, and you're uh, in Nashville, so it's right. great to have more local folks.
0: Yes. Yes. Born and raised you know, in Nashville.
2: Right. That's even that's even better. Even though I'm not in Nashville anymore, but uh, we always tried to have some kind of connections. Uh, Brand is in the area as well,
3: uh-huh. and Waynesboro, um, 90 miles south. <laughs> but you know, yeah, on the subject yeah. of hypnosis, I remember Dr. Arlio Sprinkle, who was involved in you know hypno- hypnosis with a lot of uh, UFO experiences, but also reincarnation, and he made the point that. Um, that the hypnosis that he used often was much more effective in dealing with uh, getting people on a better track in their life, uh, no matter what, whether it was real or unreal, than regular psychotherapeutic uh, sessions. Uh, and there was another doctor, I remember, that arrived at the same conclusion who also used hypnosis. So I, I thought that was interesting finding, whether it was fantasy or whatever, you know. <laughs> Uh, it get, kind of gave them things that stimulated them to uh, uh, make changes in their life that was constructive, you know, or uh, useful to them.
0: That's so awesome.
3: Yeah, I think in the long run, I think
1: it's like, you know, it, it's an altered state of consciousness just like any other. And I think that uh, there there is – just like with, like, say, like, an hallucinogenic drugs. I mean, there can be a therapeutic aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, um, Bri-
0: just like, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Um, uh, I don't, I don't I just want to let like you know the people know like hypnosis is is safe. Like hypnotherapy is safe. You can create a very safe environment, but um. Just like you know, with like hallucinogenic drugs, you can have an amazing, wonderful trip that like opens your opens your mind and like just helps you elevate in a way. Um, but then you can also have like really a really dark trip that you know shows you scary things. I think both, at the end of the day, will help you. But um, just just like that, hypnosis can be a really um, unpleasant experience um, with the wrong. Like, with the wrong guidance, I'll say. So. Yeah. It usually is amazing. Like, 99 times out of 100, it's great. But there's there's a possibility for one time. That's not going to happen with me, though.
2: Right. The one of strange realities will be very positive for everybody.
0: It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: yes. So, uh,
1: Britt, you actually, everybody here actually speaking on Saturday. Uh, Britt, you are speaking on saturday right after cheslin so that means everyone's going to be hypnotized for your talk oh good <laughs> uh, <laughs>
3: so,
2: so i'm ready to
1: buy his books. i've not talked to you about this and i am i am very curious to see what uh, you're going to be speaking at that's about at strange realities
3: well i'm going to uh I'm going to be talking about, uh, something that many of the mainstream ufologists haven't usually, you know, talked that much about. So the high strange aspects is, um, uh, Heineck toward the end called them. you know, Dr. Jalen Heineck, who was the astronomical consultant for the air force project, blue book and such uh, for many years. And, uh, he, um, you know, there were cases that just, um, you know, you wonder what, what is going on, um. They don't fit the general profile of what a lot of people for years in ufology thought should be happening. And, uh, there was a time when one of the major organizations, uh, uh, national investigations, uh, committee on aerial phenomena, which was founded in 56 by a former Marine major, Donald Lee Kehoe, um, that, uh, they just wanted reports of craft, uh, all this other stuff. They thought, you know, if somebody saw an alien or the craft landed, uh, ignore that report they picked and choose what they wanted and they wanted very credible observations of, of craft coming down and and the other stuff just got too woo-woo you know like George Adamski uh, visitors from Venus whatever so um, they ignored a lot of evidence and even dr. Hynek um, you know was kind of affected by that for a long time and until meeting Jacques Vallée, for the you know the astronomer mathematician from France in 1963 and uh he told them about the landing cases and occupant cases they had in a wave back in uh, france in 1954 and uh that there was you know there was some good investigations done and it was pretty pretty anomalous stuff and uh Heineck always at that up until that point uh kept expressing that there was uh these events uh, were probably just as the air force was saying uh just teenagers, you know, with a gas can, making a fire on the ground. And then he started looking into it a little further. In 1964, uh, he investigated uh, the Lonnie Zamorow case out in uh, uh, New Mexico, Sacro, New Mexico, the uh, parent craft taking off with two occupants nearby. So, um, you know, he slowly began to look into these these elements and the close, come up with close encounters: the first, the second, and third kind, and uh, and then the, eventually the high strange and and uh, where you don't know exactly uh, what exactly is is, is uh, going on. Um, you have occupants, and then you have the real high strange cases where they go through walls and uh, levitate people and take them aboard the craft and do examinations and all that, and you know the kind of stories that. Uh, some people don't want to deal with uh, poltergeist activity erupting in their home right after a UFO event. Uh, usually investigators uh, have in the past where they'd go to a a home and if they were, you know, considered credible mainstream, they would just interview the person about maybe the story that appeared in the newspaper or the, the, the sighting that they wrote them about. They wouldn't ask, have you ever had any other unusual unexplained experiences and, and just leave it open like that. And then they would maybe uh, as in 2019 when i attended your conference uh tim renner and joshua Cutchin they delved into that they, there was the women in white and and all these other anomalous things that you know they would ask a witness maybe saw bigfoot well anything else unusual happened and i remember the the one case uh, you know uh, where the guy said well my house was haunted and he had some pictures and and he and he looked at the uh, tim renner looked at the pictures and uh the guy thought they looked like a motorcycle gang, and Tim Renner looked at it and said they more looked more like bigfoot you know and then there was a a picture or something to same with a a woman in a mirror, a woman dressed in white, and then he came across more cases like that and that rung a bell with me and i I'll come back home, start digging through my files and and thought damn you know i've <laughs> I've had some of this sitting in my files from uh some years back, and uh I need to pay more attention to that and and so um But a lot of people, if you, um, a lot of ufologists, they go and interview someone, um, and then they say, well, last week, I saw a Bigfoot run across the yard." They'll be like, well, no, that's not my department. You need to talk to one of those cryptozoologists or somebody. A poltergeist just talked to us. Ghost hunter, you know. But anyway.
1: Right. The the different uh, sections of the paranormal and, like, none of them ever communicate and talk to each other and...
3: But you yeah. know, now we're hearing more and more about people going to what have been called window areas, areas where there's a lot of activity and investigators like Ted Phillips. Um, right. You know, he, he said he was a nuts and bolts guy, and then he investigated the areas he calls Marley Woods in Missouri. And he experienced things firsthand himself, got pictures of these, these lights. Um, and uh, he's passed on because he worked with Dr. Hynek. He was the guy that went out and investigated landing sites. And they had uh some extremely high strange things and he got to witness it. He said he went from being nuts and bolts guy to just the nuts guy now, you know. Yeah. And uh so that was Marley Woods and, and uh then there's you know places out in Sedona and, and Bradshaw Ranch out in uh Arizona, you know in the Sedona area, of Arizona. And uh in my Current issue, the October issue of alternate perceptions, I've, I've got things in my reality check, you call them, about uh, Ben um, Tree, Benjamin Tree, who's an le- electronics technician, um, engineer, who uh, is retired now, but he's got all this equipment. He goes out and measures uh, energy ground readings and such out there and around Sedona and Bradshaw Ranch, and they're off the charts and uh, very unusual readings. And this is where a lot of these high, strange things are happening. And also, I've been in touch with a Jeremiah um, Harts, Hartsman, who is describing some very strange things that have they've gone on just in, in recent weeks out there, and uh, lots of witnesses. So, and that's just another location, San Luis Valley, Colorado. We've been talking with uh, Chris Christopher O'Brien, who's written a number of books on the, the you know the, the anomalies, the UFOs, the cryptids, uh, cattle mutilations, and so forth. So. Um uh, that's something I want to talk about is you know it's uh these investigators are doing a you know big turnaround on this and, and being out in the field and boots on the ground in the trenches and and you know not only getting the reports but also being out in the field and experiencing things themselves and it changes the narrative um and that was what intrigued me, of course, years ago when Keel was reporting these things. And it took a while for people to get on board and and uh, more of the researchers to get out in the field and actually delve into this themselves. So,
2: cool. Well, a, a question for you. Go ahead. You got a, I'm qu- sorry.
3: Got a Go question
1: ahead. for you, Brent? Um, you've been doing this for a long, long time. I mean, you started. I mean, doing this kind of like investigative work and correspondences with uh other investigators i mean since you were like a
3: teenager basically right yeah since age 14 it's uh, in january yeah. january it'll be 57 years <laughs> wow yeah i mean you you really
1: um are someone that has put the work in and um these high space strange aspects i mean How much of this did you, of those aspects of these cases did you encounter when you were first looking into all this stuff back in like the sixties or seventies?
3: The seventies. I actually was uh, in 69. I was actually as a teenager, I was uh, on the board of directors of a a magazine down in St. Petersburg, Florida called Sauce Scoop. And it was pretty well known at the time. And a John Whitnor was the editor and, and, publisher and brad stager was i think public relations guy and, and joan and brad stager became quite well known for writing books and articles together and they were also receiving articles from john keel and so in october 1969 i began to engage keel before he even came out with the books on ufos like you know the mothman prophecies and um strange creatures from time and space and so on and so I got kind of a head start there, and we corresponded. And he had a, a non scheduled newsletter called Anomaly. I had my teenage UFO <laughs> publication uh, mimeographed uh, called Scientific Sauceritis Review. Sauceritis is like it's a disease of some kind, uh, because I had seen, I think, in news clippings from 1947 where some psychologist said, it's like a it's like a mind disease with these people. I call it Sauceritis. So I thought, okay, that's the I call my magazine. <laughs> But uh <laughs> uh yeah, I was starting to get into the high strains then. At first I was I had read Frank was Flying Sauce of Serious Business and that was definitely a, a mainstream nuts and bolts E. T. Um, direction it was taking and, and uh I was hesitant at first. But in uh, in beginning in nineteen seventy-five, I spent just about the whole summer on the road going from Maine where I lived at the time, down to Florida. You know Indiana and Ohio and Connecticut and uh Pennsylvania, Tennessee, where I eventually <laughs> ended up at <laughs> and uh I did that for about three years until I got married and then I had to cool my heels you know because it was costing money but uh it was I really enjoyed it, and I investigated uh people reporting bigfoot and uh I went to West Virginia uh talked with some of the people there on Mothman and um I've been, you know, of course, with Keel, you know, the interest I had in his work, naturally, I'd end up there at some point. And, and just, uh, you know, UFO contact, I've let, been very involved in talking with people and their stories. And again and again, there's, there's always um, a lot of this this stuff, if you really pursue it, uh, you find that the people who have reported... You know their reports are online, or they're in a book, or something, or a magazine, where they've seen something and it moves on to another story. But um, there are thousands of reports worldwide, and you read just the the general so-and-so said they saw a craft land and a bean got out, and you wonder what else has happened to them, you know. And uh, that's an important area, just to give them, you know, and and Tim Runner and Joshua Cutchin, they I know they do that. They ask, you know. As gently as possible what other unusual things have you had ex- experiences with and, right and so i was in 73 i remember i was with a a woman quite well known in the field who was also an experiencer herself and we interviewed someone and she brought up that question and the lady at first had seen two sauces uh, on a saucer two nights in a row down near a naval air base in jacksonville florida and uh She asked the question, what else unusual have you had experience in your life? And uh, she said, no, nothing. And then she said, well, one time a friend had died, and then I got a phone call. It sounded just like that person. They said they were going to come to the house. I started crying, and I said, no, 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 don't come. And then she said, oh, yeah, and there was a time I saw an apparition of a person, and, and, you know, and gradually she started remembering things that she had just, you know, uh, didn't really have a context for and just kind of pushed it back in her her mind. So that was a good approach. It was a good learning curve for me on that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a yeah it was, you you have been doing this for a for a very long time and one of the one of the really cool moments um for me in twenty twenty one was getting you and Alan Greenfield together. And I think that Alan had said that he had not seen you for like 40 years or something like that.
3: Yeah. I didn't know if he even remembered meeting me, uh, but it was uh, around 1977 at a conference he was speaking at in Ohio. And, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, he had a book just came out called sauces and sorcerers. And, uh, and then later a group of us in Ohio, um, which I was hanging out with a lot of uh, people from the Cincinnati area. And we traveled up to, uh, I guess maybe it was Cleveland. And they had a, uh, a conference uh, that was part Star Trek and part UFO. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, Gene Stein- Steinberg was there. And of course, Al Greenfield. And those are the only two I remember. But uh, we got to talk with Alan Greenfield later. Up at his room, a bunch of us and just surround and ask him questions, and and uh, so yeah, hadn't seen him since then. <laughs> Did you
2: wild back then,
3: <laughs> well, well, he uh, he's wilder now, I think. Stephen,
4: <laughs> <Cool. laughs> cool. you we were gonna ask a question, yeah, Brent. Uh, well, actually, I had two questions. Like the crowd you were talking about in Cincinnati, weren't any of those like part of the bait cabal? Or um, what was it the Horse Matt Lodge that came after it? Um, they were sort of like a magical group that was active in the Cincinnati area around that time?
3: No, actually, it was uh, Charles and Jerry Wilhelm of the uh, Ohio UFO Skywatchers um, Investigators League. And they had a publication called The Ohio Skywatcher. And so um, I had uh, spent a lot of time with them uh, because they were. They're investigating like the 1973 flap a lot, and uh, i had been recommended to go see them. So I flew out to out there in June and spent a week, and they invited me to come back and use their home as a base of operations, which was really, really awesome. It was actually Dr. Uh, Berthold Swartz, a psychiatrist uh, at the time living in Montclair, New Jersey, and as I traveled around the country, he was telling me places I should go and Uh, check out while I was was doing this. He was actually someone that John Keel had introduced to the UFO field, pretty much. Uh, He had written an article in a medical journal on on UFO sightings that he had investigated, but he was mainly a parapsychologist. And John Keel introduced him to uh, a number of people in the field, like Charles Bowen, the editor of uh, England's Flying Saucer Review, which he began writing articles for. And, and, And Dr. Swartz was so inspired, he began, you know, go to... UFO meetings and doing conferences, doing talks and going, uh, traveling to meet people and uh, investigating the phenomena himself. And so I made his acquaintance uh, again through that lady in Florida who was an experiencer. And we exchanged correspondence going uh, from 1973 till his passing in 2010. So um, I got a lot of perspective on how a, um, a psychiatrist slash uh, parapsychologist looks at UFO phenomena. And he covered everything as well, you know, all the high strange. And a lot of it, I think, he thought was uh, was definitely important, psychic, uh, a lot of it projection from our own unconscious, but he still found it extremely interesting. And he thought that uh, some things like uh, EVPs and and actually uh, uh, photographic evidence, um, like uh, and he studied a lady in, in Massachusetts named, Stella Lansing, he went out in the field with her and saw a, uh, some strange lights. And uh, uh, right on, right off the bat, he thought that uh, this is very important. She got these anomalies on film. Now, I went down and I met her, again through Dr. Swartz. And um, I, she had a thing called clockwork that D. Scott Rogo and, and Brad Steiger and others put in their books. Uh, but I had written Kodak and... You know, at first i said maybe it's static electricity maybe it's a uh, lens flare no no that didn't fit the images looking like luminous dials of a clock would appear on uh, the film and often overlap frames and and you know dr swartz went to photographers and they were mystified and so anyway i kept writing kodak kodak finally there was a technician there who wrote and says i have the answer it's rivets um you would take a 50 foot length of super eight millimeter film you attach it on one end and another on the other end and run it through a vat of developing fluid uh, with a bunch of other film strips at the same time and in, in, in this uh, vat will develop, you know, it's part of the development process. And um, anyway, um, they stopped using the rivet so I never got a rivet but I, I had my own footage where I got clockwork, so-called, on my own film and I could take it and it would only be on one side, and again, it would overlap frames. And I would hold it in a light, a lamp overhead, and uh, you could see that it was impressed. It wasn't wasn't really a photographic image; it was actually imprinted into the film. And so I made uh, Doctor Swartz aware of it. He said, "Well, that may be, uh, but sometimes it gets in the middle of the film, uh, according to Stellar." And uh, I thought, eh, maybe sometimes it's a fluke, but by and large. And so I tried to express that I really think, you know, and so we had a disagreement on that. <laughs> but, right. and, and and Stella called me up, and when he told her what I had found, and she said, Brent, if you wanted to know what this was, I had contacted Kodak too. And, um, you know, this is, I don't believe that answer. And I thought, well, I do. So anyway, I had to calm her down. <laughs> But, um, so, you know, I, 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 I know there's something to some of these, um, uh, instances where certain people get unusual images, but I think in that case, the clockwork one, um, I have an explanation for it just, you know,
4: and you said the, the staggers are based out of St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, or did I misunderstand that? Oh, well, no, Brad
3: Stagger, um, he's originally from Iowa and he lived in Arizona and, um, well, when they
4: were doing the journal, though, I think you mentioned mid '60s. It was-
3: it, yeah, he uh, yeah, in the uh, back in '69, when I was on the board representing the state of Maine, um, and it was uh, he was like public relations director, as I recall. He was he was listed on you know as a as a member of the board, uh, but uh, he was not living in Florida. He just you know wrote for him. Well, do you? And, Do you uh, happen to
4: know, though, if the publication would have had any encounters with James Shelby Downard? Because I think he was based out of St. Petersburg around that time. Um, been kind of trying to put together a history of some of the groups that he might have been in contact with. And that seems like something that would be down his alley.
3: James Edward Downer.
4: Shelby Downard.
3: Shelby Downer.
4: Yeah, I've been spending time with Richard Spence lately.
3: Um, I don't know. I'll, uh, I'm not sure. Um, I can look back and some of the back issues I have and see if there, anything comes up on that. But well,
1: that would be extraordinarily interesting if that was the case.
4: Well, yeah. Cause I've been trying to figure out how that circle of 40 really hooked up with Downard and Florida uh, during the seventies. But I mean, it seems like that would be a logical place for them to meet him.
2: Was that, that was primarily a, a UFO, publication though brent
3: well it was but no i mean you had john keel writing articles yeah um, i mean if john
4: keel you would definitely have fordian's work lurking in the background yeah,
3: yeah, there were some a lot of very strange stories yeah
2: just the At most time,
3: um, I, yeah
2: the most paranoid raving <laughs> lunatic writing that was in it might be this guy that recluse, recluse is looking for so
3: yeah i'm not sure i know him but anyway um <laughs> probably glad to look in, in what I have and see if the, well, if you're, if you're, oh, on thank the-
4: you, I know Richard would thank you for as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if, if, if uh, Brent, I think you may be a, a member of the 2022 streaming group uh, from last year. So if you go back and watch Adam go Rightly's presentation, you'll learn all about James Shelby Downard. Okay. Uh, Cause that's, that's primarily what he did it on. So we should say, Brent, you are speaking at 10.40 a.m. to 11.40 a.m. on Saturday mm-hmm. morning. It's all the mind, guys, for everybody listening that is listening on this or the podcast version, that is central time. So you, you may have a hypnotized audience, but maybe you can, you, you can get some suggestions put in there.
2: And, well, you know. That'd be good. <laughs> Brent should have his books available. And uh, yes. last year I had some back issues of alternate perceptions and UFO perceptions uh, for collectors of uh, ephemera. Um,
3: yeah, I've still got, still got
2: quite a few of those. And, bring uh, them out and uh, everyone should buy yeah. them up.
1: Sounds good. Okay. Steven, uh, you've got quite the presentation for us this year
4: yeah well here's hoping (laughs) um it sort of had a bit of a genesis in the the book that I just released, um, The Art, The Secret History of Sidewalk and spirittainment and the Shattering Reality Book One. Uh, it's been quite an endeavor writing this thing. It took me roughly three and a half years. It uh, took me basically across the entire country to San Francisco, the barracks of Carlisle, just all kinds of other archives. And um, originally it was going to be one book, and then I think around the 200,000 word mark it uh came to a realization i was going to have to rethink that prospect so anyway finally got the first book out but um as to the presentation i want to say About 2021, 2022, I was contacted by Jason Horsley, uh, former host of Autoculture. And, of course, he's written The Vice of Kings, a lot of other fantastic books. And uh, he was doing some work on artificial intelligence, predictive modeling, and all this kind of stuff, which had become a major point of emphasis in my book when I had started to research Cambridge Analytica. And one of the uh, really striking things that I had found was that this kind of technology that was based around data, Mining and predictive modeling that could be applied to elections uh, was actually pioneered by a company named Simulmatics, and that uh, the first election it was used in was in 1960 by none other than John F. Kennedy. So the stuff had actually been around for a good 60 years or so. I mean, even before the Cambridge Analytica scandal. But as I started to look into this, it became really interesting because one of the guys involved with simulmatics in the early years was a guy called Eugene Burbank, I believe, who Burdick, Burdick, who ended up uh, writing a couple of novels as well. In fact, he was a bit of a jack of all trades, did all kinds of cool stuff, quote unquote. But uh, one of his books was uh, The Ugly American, which, of course, later became a major bestseller. And then he wrote a book called Failsafe. Uh, which has a plot remarkably similar to a movie called Dr. Strangelove. Right. And in fact, it was in development at the same time that Stanley Kubrick was developing Dr. Strangelove and the plot was actually so similar that Kubrick decided to sue Burdick to try to prevent the production of his uh, adaptation so that Strangelove would come out first. So, anyway, I get into talking to uh, Jason about this, and I mentioned how I thought that later Kubrick would get into some of the semiomatic stuff in his movies, especially in 2001. I really think that Hal uh, was actually modeled in that whole sort of process of predictive modeling with personality profiles. And basically, I don't think Hal malfunctioned. I think that he did a personality profile on the astronauts to ascertain whether or not they had the mental fortitude to deal with what was coming, said, so They didn't, and he acted accordingly. So Jason, I guess, was pretty spurred by that, but he had already been thinking about a Kubrick book. So that uh, sort of laid the genesis for what became uh, Kubrick his his excellent book that he just released this year. Um, also, it ended up having some of the first bit of the research that I had done in Simnomatics, too. So that was really cool. Um, but anyway, uh, if you haven't read a lot of Jason's stuff on Kubrick, uh, Jason hates Stanley Kubrick with an absolute passion. Uh, really? And- Conversely, Stanley Kubrick is my all-time favorite uh, filmmaker. For me, basically, there's Stanley Kubrick, there's David Lynch, and there's pretty much everybody else as far as directors go, except for maybe John Carpenter. Okay, but um, and ironically, Jason is a big David Lynch fan. I don't really get how you could hate Kubrick and love David.
1: So, Kubrick. so he wrote a whole book about Kubrick, but he he hates Kubrick.
4: Yes, yes, he hates Kubrick, but he wrote uh, a whole book about him. Interesting. Wanted to get wanted to get into all of the deep state implications and stuff like that. And Kubrick, he was using some of the research I had done along with a lot of the other research as a basis for this. So this some Jay- of the like the eyes wide shut stuff. Mm-hmm. So Jason does his whole thing on Kubrick. And I mean, I, you know, I just can't let that sit, right? Because I mean, this is my boy Stanley Kubrick. So I got to do some kind of response for this. So I'd already been toying with the notion of doing a big presentation of Kubrick, I think, as far back as the summer, because I wanted basically an excuse to get in here and debate, Jason, which I actually just did yesterday. And uh, for round one in the great Kubrick debate, I think I pulled it off, boys. But uh, anyway, uh, the, pro-
1: the pro Kubrick one, huh?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been long gestating, but I um, I put together a huge presentation on Kubrick. In fact, I actually have had to divide it into two because otherwise I would probably be talking for three hours if I tried to cover Kubrick's entire career. But essentially, I was going to go in and look at a lot of the more conspiratorial allegations with Kubrick and ascertain what we could legitimately say were his connections to the national security surfaces what were maybe some of the surprising things that you were doing in that regard and you know, it's not really explicitly stated to basically debunk the whole thing about the faking the moon landing stuff and what have you because that's just ridiculous in a lot of levels and frankly it covers up for a lot of really interesting stuff about kubrick especially what appears to be a full-blown psychological warfare campaign that the kennedy administration had him running against the u.s military that is one of the things that i will be getting into along with his likely connections to the whole mythos around the nine from good old adrena puhart's the nine yes those folks and uh, also Potential ties to one of the most storied and infamous murders of the 20th century that has fascinated Hollywood for decades now.
1: Man, well, this sounds really meaty, Stephen. I am. All right. I I am looking forward to this. Okay. Trust me, this is
4: going to be Stanley (laughs) Kubrick like you've never seen before. I know (laughs) people heard some conspiratorial takes on this but I'm bringing out a lot of stuff that I don't think has ever been seriously considered before
1: and you're going to do it at the strange realities conference
4: yes sir I mean of course up to that point we got the great debate with uh, me and Jason on the farm and then for the zoom party I got coming up here in about two or actually a week now I'm going to go uh, deep dive on the shining but the real meat of the stuff is going to be at strange realities and there are going to be some crazy revelations there
1: okay okay well, I that uh, yeah. So I, I don't th- I don't really don't want to say any more about this because I want people to either come physically to the Strange Realities Conference, or I want them to come uh, to the on and online and see this uh, presentation. Uh wow. Okay, trust <laughs> me, it's gonna be groovy, guys. <laughs> this, this is gonna be a good one. And, and and we should tell everybody, Stephen, you are scheduled 4.30 to 5.30 central time. That is p.m. on Saturday evening. So you're right before dinner. So plenty of time to uh, talk about uh, Stanley Kubrick uh, during the dinner break, which is at SIR itself. So uh, I would add just to just to say uh, now, not a movie directed by Stanley Kubrick, but in 2010, yeah they did explain why HAL killed the astronauts in 2001
2: but that's a cover up
4: right well yeah but i mean definitely kubrick and arthur c clark had a lot of um diverging opinions on some of the stuff that went on in the script so um yeah but kubrick did not associate himself with 2010 for a variety of reasons
1: <laughs> right 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 i mean it was just it was it's a very different movie than 2001 obviously um it was kind of just a way well i mean arthur c Clarke wrote it but the movie was kind of it was not a very it wasn't like heady and as intellectual as probably 2001 was
4: i think yeah arthur c Clarke didn't work on it until like what a good 10 years or something too yeah one came out
1: yeah i'm pretty sure that that's true too um and it may have actually happened right, I mean, in the early eighties, I mean, the movie was like eighty four yeah, yeah, so you know i'm I'm thinking that it might have just have been a way to kind of wrap up two thousand and one, but he came out with another sequel, which is twenty sixty one so there was also that as well, so but that never got produced into a movie, actually, then there was three thousand one.
4: Yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't there
1: like the three thousand and one? Yeah, 3001 yeah like there the was 90s? a three thousand one too. Yeah, so I don't know whether or not. I think maybe he, he that Clark intended two thousand one is probably just like a uh, a one off type of thing. So
4: yeah, it was. I think only after the enormous success of the franchise that he um, decided to right. just keep expanding it effectively. But that's, I mean, that's kind of another thing about Kubrick, too, when it's like uh, you sort of consider some of the source material and whether or not that he actually had any intention of following through Um, one of the things like Jason and I were discussing in that regard for instance was The Shining and Kubrick's decision to do the maze at the end versus the um, what was it the hedge animals I think that came to life that's Um, what it is in the book the, the official story was that Kubrick tested like some animatronics to try and get the hedge animals but then after the results weren't that great, he decided to go in a completely different direction. and Frankly, neither Jason and I believe that in the slightest. I, yeah. I think the maze was always the intent. I mean, I can you even imagine Stanley Kubrick doing a freaking movie with an animatronic hedge animal tracing a kid around like a hotel? <laughs> I mean, like, there's, there's no way he was going to do that. It was not going to happen. Never. Uh,
1: I, I think... I think one of, my, one of my most interesting things about Kubrick is how he was such a prolific director up to a certain point, and then he just kind of stopped. So, like, in the 70s, he does um, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, and he's only got really those two movies. And then he does The Shining, and then he does Full Metal Jacket, and then doesn't come back till, um Eyes Wide Shut, which is his last movie, which is released after he's dead. Um, I've always found that interesting. Maybe that could have been for health reasons, but it seemed like there's a certain point that he just, he just backed away, and he just kind of just did whatever project that he wanted to do. And I, thought was, I always thought Full Metal Jacket was an odd choice as good a movie as it is, I always thought that was kind of an odd choice for him to do.
4: Well, he was actually, I think much more um, keen on box offices than a lot of people realize. And when you get into like full metal jacket, which was the project he started looking at in the early 1980s, this is like right around the time when, you know, like Rambo and the missing in action movies right. uh, were really starting right. to um, you know, make waves at the box office. So from Kubrick's thinking, it's like, okay, you've got all of these sort of cheesy uh Vietnam centric action movies. So I'm Stanley Kubrick. I could come out with like my big, you know, sort of um art house movie or whatever on Vietnam that'll kind of play into that market, but I mean will elevate it to a higher plane or something like that. Uh so it was a great thought, but unfortunately he was sort of upstaged by Oliver Stone when Platoon came out. And so you Sort of had this serious Oscar caliber Vietnam movie that beat Full Metal Jacket uh to the release date and that i think took some of the wind out of the sales of that movie but when you sort of look at it in the context of marketing trends uh as well as Kubrick's longtime fascination with warfare it makes a lot more sense in that context that he opted to go with vietnam and then you know i also think a big part of why the full metal jacket story appealed to him is because of the section in the boot camp right because really uh brainwashing, dehumanization, these are certainly yeah. the themes throughout and it's not really talked about before, but there are a few organizations uh, in the world that are better at brainwashing than the United States military and especially the Marine Corps and a big part of that is boot camp. So this is sort of an aspect of that that you don't really see addressed in a movie before, really, I think, since as far as it goes with basic training. um, In that sense, it also, I think, makes a lot of uh, it's very plausible in the trajectory of Kubrick's career. But the thing with Kubrick, and I think that it you know, kind of provides some interesting insights into what else he might have been doing to supplement his income, it's just the, the absolute fanaticism with research, which I think is a big part of why he was bogged down with movies in the latter part of his life because um, I was reading John Finwick's account of Kubrick's work as a producer. And this guy went to the Stanley Kubrick archives in uh, London to go through a lot of the materials there for this book, right? So he walks into this room, and it's almost entirely filled with nothing but books. He, you know, goes to the archivist and he's like, Oh, so this must be Stanley's private collection of books, right? Oh, no these are just the books that he had for one project one one project yeah, one project so stanley kubrick literally had warehouses all over europe all over the uk that were filled with materials that he had collected for his movies like his napoleon movie that he never got made i mean he literally had All of these, um, not costumes, but actual authentic garments from the 18th century that he had bought over the years. He had all this furniture from the 18th century, in addition to just caches of books and just research material that he gathered for this, that he had to, you know, essentially rent out warehouses to store in after a while. And this is just one of his projects. And he's doing this for everything, And that's kind of where, you know, it gets really interesting when you think about Kubrick doing science fiction so much, and especially the AI movie, which he started working on in around 1970. So this is a project Kubrick was working on for nearly 30 years, and it gives him excuse to continuously consult with many of the leading scientists in the world about the future of computers, the future of artificial intelligence, of climate, all kinds of other things like that. So he's actually operating in a, um, a capacity very similar to how an intelligence analyst would be working to make futures predictions.
2: So it's almost like the filmmaking was secondary to these larger research projects.
4: Yeah, because nobody ever did research projects like this for a film like Kubrick did, certainly. I
1: wonder if the uh, Ridley Scott, the Napoleon, is that, if that has anything to do with uh, Kubrick's...
4: Well, I know the HBO, I don't know if that was the same one Ridley Scott was doing, but I know HBO was trying to finally do Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon is like, a, I think a seven part miniseries. I think Steven Spielberg's trying to work on this one, too.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be great. Uh, Steven, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, there is uh, Cheslin. I've got something for you here. before we stop. uh, There was a a remark question here. I don't know if you can see this, but I will read it. Uh, It says, interested to know what level of efficacy you get with conducting a hypnosis session online with a patient or client versus an in-person session and if that separation is less conductive to inducing hypnosis or the strength of the hypnotic experience. Looks like it's about i guess doing it online as opposed to in person
0: that's a really good question uh cole mark awesome question thank you for asking um well uh online is usually better because um you're in your own home you know you're in your own space you know your space you feel safe in your space um when you um, when you go to, like, an office, like, out of person or, like, like we're going to do, like a, like, a conference, you're a little bit more anxious, you're a little bit more, you're less likely to go, you're going to go in hypnosis regardless with a good hypnotherapist, but um, it's going to be a little bit more tricky because you're more guarded. But when you're at home, you're feeling safe, um, and, like, it's just, it's just easier for your body to um, relax into the state.
2: Awesome, well, yeah, we always try to make sure that these uh experience and workshop based presentations uh, are uh streamable as well, but if it works even better or potentially does, then that's really cool
0: yeah yeah, yeah. it works perfectly if you're like listening to this like on your phone and laying in bed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's something too, guys. I that would we, that we'll say that a lot we're going to have, we'll have a lot of people on an online audience. So you guys will be able to participate as well.
2: And, and some may participate, participate later. later. And everything else, yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, the I want
2: to. Usually, usually pretty fun too with all the online folks. Right. And
3: just, just plant the suggestion that they're going to like the next talk too, real well.
2: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> steven um, is, are you going to have copies of your new book available
4: yeah i will probably try my best to anyway but um okay. that is the plan right now
2: cool
1: okay well guys i want to thank you for uh for being a part of this tonight and uh for being a part of strange realities uh Please, everybody, t- tell us where you guys can, where people can find you, uh, and all that and anything that you want to prom- that you would like to promote. And, uh, Chesslyn, we
0: will start with you. Oh, okay. Um, you can find, if you want more, uh, if you want to like know my hypnotherapy style, you can find me on my YouTube channel it's called Advanced Hypnotherapy, um, on YouTube. It's, uh, I'm still growing it. Like I'm still like like creating videos and like posting new things um so it's it's getting better as time goes on um and then if you would like to do a session with me um you know you'll be able to you'll you can email me you can you'll, you'll find my email like under my under like the descriptions and like in my bio on youtube um you can also contact me on facebook um i'm not on facebook very often so probably email is better um Uh, And then we can do, like, a hypnotherapy session where we could, like, you know, talk about, like, hypnotherapy and, like, any questions you might have.
3: Okay, excellent. Uh, Brent? Okay, well, my alternate perceptions magazine comes out monthly, uh, the first of each month, and it's also archived, so you go to the top of the page and look at back issues. But it's um, available at apmagazine.info. And I'm also on Facebook, Brent Rains, and then also uh, an Alternate Perceptions uh, page, also for people who want to read the weirder stuff. And uh, Chris, I've got three books on on Amazon. Uh, my first, Visitors from Hidden Realms, in 2004, and On the Edge of Reality, 2009, and then of course my John A. Keel, The Man, The Myths, The Ongoing Mysteries, from 2019.
1: Okay, and that is a great book on John Keel. And uh there is an interview with uh, us interviewing you about it and uh on Where the Road Go has talked to you about it several times. So And uh uh Mr. Recluse
4: uh well i am the host of the farm podcast uh you can generally find that in all good google searches under the farm podcast mock 2 uh ii I for that uh, second part there uh it's always on apple and spotify and most of the other major podcast providers also uh you can find me on patreon that would be patreon.com backslash the farm podcast ii uh so yeah if you uh, sign up there for either the uh, basic program the all access one on the uh, lower tier you get two additional full-length shows per month which is three or four hours of bonus material and for all access patrons you get that plus the zoom parties my dispatches from all the weird places i uh, travel to across the country a lot of my geopolitical musings on the state of the union and uh, all kinds of other goodies Uh, And also, I'm the author of uh, three books, all of which are available on Amazon. The first is one that I co-wrote with uh, Frank Zero, that would be Strange Tales of the Parapolitical. And then the two that I did by myself, A Special Relationship, Trump-Epstein and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment, book one. And then the most recent one that I was just discussing, which is called The Art, the Secret History of of, uh, War, Conspiratainment and the Shattering Reality, book one. And uh, you can also get PDF and uh, KDP versions of this at the Farms Official Store, which is the farmpodcast.store. Again, that's all one word, the farmpodcast.store. So there you go.
1: All right. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, I want to thank all you guys for uh, being part of this and being a part of Strange Realities. Uh, <clears throat> Sergio, is there do you want to add before I uh, we sign off here?
2: We saw some tickets come through on the uh, live stream here. We appreciate that, Yay. folks. Uh, the uh, the more tickets that uh, can be purchased in advance, which we understand they'll be mostly just the uh, online folks by now, if you haven't planned that weekend, um, that will uh, help us. The more we get will help us uh, to uh, – cover the costs and stuff that we have to pay up front for this uh it's definitely a labor of love and we compensate all of our speakers every time but strange if you don't have tickets yet get them as soon as possible please and we'll get you in the groups it also helps if you do this in advance so that we can get you in these streaming groups or uh whatever uh whichever method you prefer Uh, ahead of of time uh, instead of us having to kind of scramble while we're in the physical location trying to get the streams and everything ready so that'll really help if you want to go, go to strangerealitiesconference.com right now
1: Absolutely, I can't uh, iterate that enough and keep in mind this entire stream, the entire conference from Friday evening till the end of Sunday is being streamed it's just that on Sunday November 5th, that is that is just online only so we will not be at the venue but the entire thing is being streamed so guys uh, just uh, going forward in the next couple of weeks next week on the 17th uh, we will be streaming live with Aaron Gullius, Chris Ertz, David Metcalf and Zach Hunt and on the 24th Soraya Ascalf, Timothy Renner and Michael Hughes will also be streaming with us and we will have two more of these previews before we say adios to go to strange realities so guys looking forward to it and get your tickets at strange conference.com all right guys thank you guys very much and we'll talk thank to you, you soon spiritual.